Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. We have people from all kinds of religious backgrounds. I grew up in a spirit-filled church, which is a nice way to say crazy um, church, and so Yelling amen was just normal to me and nothing, but we got members of our team. Matter of fact, one of, one of, uh, one of our elders, a member, member of our team, uh, uh, was, was raised Anglican. So he, he amens whispering. He's like, amen. You know, he just doesn't want, he doesn't want any of his Episcopal friends to know that he amens in church. But, um, but there he is. There he is. You found him. I wasn't going to rat you out, but you found him. You found him. If you didn't catch the message last week, I'd encourage you to do that. I preached last week a message called uh, No Place Like Home. Uh, I really think there's just nothing more powerful than thinking about home. Um, there's just something that doesn't really matter how old you are, how far away you get from it, how long you moved away, and there's just nothing like home. Nobody cooks like mama cooks, amen to that. No, nobody does what home feels like. Doesn't matter how long it's been, doesn't matter where it was, you could have grew up in the hood, on the wrong side, and, and but when you think about home or you go home, there's just this feeling that happens. So there's people from all over uh, the country, all over the world. Uh, in matter of fact, on my team, uh, Julie, uh, who hosted service today from Argentina, there's, there's people from all, all over. There's uh, people from uh, uh, people from Mexico. Viva la Mexico! Viva! Bless you. Uh, there's. Uh, <laughs> There's no Viva Argentina, is there? I don't think so. But anyway, I would do that if there was. Uh, I'm from Arkansas. There's people from all over. People from California. Don't don't. Nobody from California is proud of it. So they're like, yeah, we're from California. Yes, they are California. Uh, and then there's people from Texas. You're the only people that do that. You're the only. Pe- Everywhere I preach in the world, when I say I'm from Texas, that happens. I say I'm from Texas, and then somebody. What a bunch of weirdos! I don't know why you. And there's brisket out, grilling outside, and it didn't matter. I mean, I could be anywhere in the country. You say Texas, and, 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 and that's what you get. It's just home. There's just something about home. And San Antonio, more than that, how about San Antonio in the hill country? Where's all the San Antonio? Yeah, yeah. There's just something about home. There's, I, I was thinking about home the other day and, and preparing for this message, and, and I went and Googled. You ever done this? I, I went and Googled the earliest address I can remember. Now, I can't remember what I had for breakfast today. But I can remember my address of the first house when I was a kid. You know what I'm trying to say there? It was 5050 Yale Road in Raleigh, uh, Tennessee. And we, we were just outside of downtown Memphis. And, and so I went, while I was preparing for this message, I went and I Googled uh, the address. Because I knew the, I remembered the address, 5050 Yale Road uh, in, in Raleigh. And, and when I saw it on Google Maps, I thought to myself, oh God. We was not doing good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked like when I was a kid, it didn't feel like that. Man, I thought, Jeff, I thought things were great, man. I, re- I have fond memories. I mean, it's the earliest memories I have are in this home. But when I went and Google mapped it, I called my mama and I was like, mama, we weren't doing good. Where are we? Are, are you okay now? Or is everything like, why didn't you tell me we wasn't good? You know, and she was like, well, we was good. You know, it, it's been 30, 40 years. You know, maybe it doesn't look the same. Whatever. Anyway, but it was home. I can remember, I have a little brother who's uh, two and a half years younger than me, and I can remember, uh, this should give you an indicator that we weren't doing good, but I can remember playing outside, and we played in the dirt with my mama's spoons. You know what I'm trying to, anybody ever do that? Yeah, there's two poor people here, me and y'all, anyway. And, and, but I, but, but it, man, it was, it was home, you know, it was home. 
And t- ten year, when I was 10 years old, we left um, eastern Arkansas and, 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 the, and the Memphis area, the Delta, uh, uh, Mid-South. And, uh, and we moved to North Carolina, the East Coast. I remember the day we moved into our house. I remember the address, 162 American Avenue, Concord, North Carolina. I remember I was 10 years old. And I remember the U-Haul. I can see the U-Haul uh, parked outside, and it was a duplex. Uh, and, and I, can, I, can re- I remember our neighbors I, I just, I just vividly because it, it was home. And it was our, it was our, it was that first it was the first place in North Carolina, and I can remember I remember our first snowstorm in North Carolina. I'd never seen snow before, and snowed on my birthday, and and, and I remember just because even and then I went and looked at it on Google Maps, and I thought, oh my God, it got worse. <laughs> like we we were doing bad, and then we oh God, I didn't know if we like were we eating or is everything okay? You know, it was bad, and then and then I remember uh, the first home my parents bought in North Carolina. Uh, I remember the address, twenty eighteen Osborne Street. Annapolis, North Carolina. I, I just, it's home. And it's where I left home. I remember packing up uh, my little car. Brandy and I got married when we were 19 years old. That was dumb. And um, we got married when we were 19 years old. <laughs> and, uh, and we moved halfway across the country back to Arkansas to take a ministry job. Uh, we got married on a Friday. And, and then we, uh, I preached on Sunday. Um, nothing says honeymoon like two services. And so I preached on Sunday. And then we went on our honeymoon on Monday, and I can remember—I remember packing up that little, uh, that little car, uh, in my mom and dad's driveway at 2018 Osborne Street, because it's home. Because it's home. I remember the first house uh, Brandy and I moved into when we got married. We moved to back to Arkansas. I took uh, a ministry position back uh, in the area of Arkansas I had uh, grew up, and we lived in a triplex, which. Sounds really hipster and really cool, like if you live like in New York. But if you live in Mariana, Arkansas, in a triplex, what that means is they take a ghetto little house and they cut it up into three smaller ghetto houses. And we were in we were in a third of a ghetto house. Are you with me, everybody? Like it, it was bad. It was, I was. I'm trying to make y'all feel bad for me as I start today. It was bad, man. I got a picture. Brandy sent me a picture of it. I didn't get it to the screen, but about a couple of years ago, we were visiting. Um, we were visiting back my grandparents who uh, lived in that little town, and we had our kids with us. I now have a ten-year-old, almost ten-year-old, and a seven-year-old. And at the time, a couple of years ago, they were probably five or six and and eight or nine. And we brought them to that little house, you know. And we took it. We parked on the side of the street, which was uh, dangerous anyway. We parked on the side of the street, and we and we put them in front of this little house. I got the picture on my phone. You got to see, and they're standing on the curb like. This is so dumb. You ever done that? You ever made your kids go look at that? And we were like, this is where it all started. We all didn't have what you have now. You know what I mean? Like, we're those parents that already, we're already telling them, like, how bad it was. You know what I mean? And we walked uphill both ways. And anyways, <laughs> but we wanted them to know where home was for us. And, and it wasn't nostalgic for my kids, listen, but it was for us because it was home. There's just, there's, there's something about home. There's no place like home. If I gave this week's message a title, I, I title it, Make Yourself at Home. We say um, often when people come to the house, I'm from the deep south, I told you that. And so uh, uh, in the south, we, um, our, my love language is food. And so uh, we invite people over to the house and you have people in your house. And, and, and when you walk in, the first thing we say to them is, oh, well, you know, welcome. And, oh, your house is beautiful. Oh, thank you. Just make yourself at Make yourself at home. Now, uh, here's the thing. I say it, but I don't really mean make yourself at home. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know those people that make you take their shoes off when they walk in the door? Anybody, any of those weird people here like, that you have to take your, I don't know why you do that. What do you, what is this? Marble? What, what do you, okay, but anyway, so you take your shoes off. But 
So it's one thing to take your shoes off when you walk in the house, but don't be digging your own nasty feet up in the cushions of my couch, okay? Are you with me, everybody? Like, make yourself at home, but not really. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't go, if this is your first time, don't go to the fridge and be getting a Coke Zero and not talking to somebody. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to look at you like, what? Did that, he just went to my fridge right by himself? <laughs> what? You don't know, don't be going to my fridge like that. Don't, just your first time here. Are you with me, everybody? We say make yourself at home. We don't really mean to make make yourself at home. Let me pause here and tell you. I, I got to tell you just in case you want to know. And, and honestly, I'm preaching this way for the next six or so months. So if you don't like this, you're not going to love today. But this is the kind of church that when we say make yourself at home, we mean it. Like you don't have to do anything, be anybody, act a certain way, get right, look a certain way, vote like me. I envision a church where people can come in muddy and messy and just walk right in the middle of church, all messed up and all of their problems. And they can go right to the refrigerator and get everything they need out of that are you with me everybody this is the kind of church if you need peace you can come in on your very first Sunday and find peace here and joy here and healing here and freedom here and purpose here and you can get on mission here and you don't have to do anything or prove anything this can be home this can be home when we started the church five years ago we moved here nine months before we started the church and Brandy and I and, and a few members of our team who were here uh, very early with us, we would go to different churches uh, around the area because we didn't have anywhere to go to church on Sunday. And so we'd go to different churches and, and we would like, oh man, that was awesome. And, you know, oh, this, and I would meet the pastor or something. You know, I, had, I, I sent a letter to every, every church in this county. Uh, I sent a personal note card to every pastor here and just said, you know, we're planning a church and I'd love to take you to coffee. And, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming to harvest, honestly, you know, seeds you've planted for years. And I honor, you know, the, the decades and for some of them centuries worth of uh, just being here in, in the city and embedded in the soil. And I remember going to churches where, where uh, sometimes you felt like you weren't at home. You know what I'm trying to say there? You ever walked in that kind of church where you just knew you weren't supposed to be there? Like it just didn't feel like home to any, anybody? Like I remember we walked in one church and we had sat down uh, together. We got there a little early and. We didn't know anybody. We didn't know anybody when we moved here. And, and we sat kind of towards the back, and, and, uh, and, and the church was starting to fill up, and we thought, well, this is going to be great, and, uh, you know, I can't wait. But nobody talked to us, but that, we thought, ah, you know, whatever. And, but but uh, the first person that talked to us actually tapped us on the shoulder, and I thought, oh, okay, so somebody's going to say hi and greet us and all that. And the, <laughs> the true story, they looked us right in the eye and said, I think you're in our seats. Okay, okay, we'll get up and go. Like we'll we'll get up and move. Like we did, we didn't know, and so we moved to another seat. And then um, I'm not going to tell you what church it is, but it's <laughs> over yonder. And and it just felt so odd. It just felt you just felt like you ever been there. You ever been to a church? You just felt like you weren't at home. Like you just, I had, I had to clean up before I got here. I had to look a certain way before I got. Here. I had to be a certain way. I had to be like everybody else. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm I'm gonna. Can I just can I take 20 seconds and be offensive? This is the only 20 seconds I'll be offensive, I promise. Don't clip this up and put this on the internet, but this is the only 20 seconds I'll be offensive. We went to this one church. It's a true story, so help me God. We, there was only white people in it. See, see how quiet y'all got? Because y'all don't know if you can talk like this. <laughs> only white people. Nobody had a suntan. I'm talking about white. white. <laughs> I mean only people. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and I decided to just punch racism in the mouth when I moved here. 
But here's what we decided really quickly. Look at what there wasn't. There wasn't a Latino. There wasn't a Latina. There wasn't a Latinx. There wasn't. There wasn't a brother here. There was no, nobody. It was. It was all white people. I looked at her right now. So help me God. I looked at her right now. I said, "This ain't. This. This. We can't. This ain't gonna be us." Now, if if that if you need, I'm just gonna tell you the kind of church this is gonna be. This is the kind of church where anybody can come. This this church doesn't have to look like me. It's got to look like heaven. This is the kind of church where every race and every tribe and every tongue and every culture and wherever you came from and however you got here. You don't have to vote like me, look like me, be Republican. You don't have to, you don't have to do none of that. All you got to do is want home. Home takes all the ugly kids back. Y'all better thank God for that. Home takes all the mess ups. Home says it doesn't matter how far you went. It doesn't matter how dirty you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. This can be your home. There's no place like, there's no place like going home. No place like going home. No place like going home. Home. The prodigal son didn't think, man, I got to clean up. Man, I got to get it right. He just knew if I can get home, I know that the home fire is still burning. I know daddy's still home. He didn't say, man, I've changed my clothes. He didn't say, man, I got to get right. He just said, if I can get myself back home, everything's going to be okay. And just in case you wanted to know, this is the kind of church you don't have to get right. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to get good enough. You don't have to say the right things, look the right way, or vote the right way. This is the kind of church for people just like me who are messed up and broken and upset and a mess and muddy and this can be your home shout home there's just no place like home this church is never going to be a pristine temple of people who have it all together write it down like this in your notes because you take good notes because church people take notes and if somebody besides you is not taking notes ask them why they don't take notes in church this is this church listen write this down just this way this church is a hospital not a holy huddle. This is a hospital, not a holy huddle. Church doesn't exist for us. We're the church, and we exist for the world. Church doesn't exist for me. We're the church, and we exist for the world. It's, it's a hospital. It's full of broken people. By the way, you're in the hospital. Now, you may be a little bit further along, and you may be closer to recovery, but everybody's broken in the same hospital. You know what? Somebody may come in in ICU. Somebody may come in on a stretcher, and you may be in a step-down unit. But everybody's in the same hospital, trying to figure it out and get it together. Everybody needs God to work on me. Nobody has arrived here yet. Anybody? Uh, 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 no, nobody's made it. No, nobody's perfect. Nobody's got it all together. And this can still be a home. In the New Testament, uh, you see this vibrant, spirit-empowered church who has this massive impact. On the earth. I mean, just think about how quickly revival spread in the New Testament. And they had this lasting impact in the short run because they knew that they had unity around some specific meeting spaces. As a matter of fact, in my study for this message, I realized there are three, sociologists agree, there are three meeting spaces that every human needs for connection and purpose and deep meaning and a sense of belonging. The first one, write this in your notes, the first one is a public space. You need somewhere to go. In the New Testament, the Bible says they met together in the temple. It's a lot like we do right now. It's a place where we sing and you worship and, and you read the scriptures together. And, and, and so the early church prospered because it provided Christians a public space to come together and, and to fill that need of belonging. And number two, there was a social 
space. There was a place where in the, in the marketplace. There was a place where your life could, could make a difference. They would go to weddings together and parties together and dinners together. They did life together. It was a social uh, area, not a social club, but it appealed to the social uh, side of, 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 of the belonging and the need of a human to feel like I'm together. And then the third place is there was a private place. Sociologists give these three. They say there's a public place, a social space, and a private space. This is a, a, these are families. These are small groups of 10, 12 in the New Testament. It was 12 uh, that, that got together and they had refrigerator rights you know they're the kind of people who who could go to your house and open up the you know you got people with refrigerator rights they just walk right in and they can get everything they can make themselves at home and and the new testament church had all three of these and listen i want this church to be a new testament church that we have a a private space where in a thriving small group i think you need to be in a small group this week i I led a small group last week 12 people in my group i heard about 16 women that gathered in a two-bedroom apartment last week going through freedom together. Why? Because there's a private space where you say everybody here has problems. Everybody here needs something. Everybody here has issues. So let's take the mask off and let's decide to get honest with one another. Church is not a place you attend. Church is a family you belong to. So, so we have, so we have a private space, and then, and then, and then we have a social space at City Hills. That's what the Dream Team's all about. It's empowering you and equipping you, and then releasing you to go make a difference in the world, to go do something with your life that matters. To realize I'm not just here to take; I'm here to be a contributor. I'm not just here to be a spectator on the side of my faith. I'm here to be a participator, where I get involved and I make a difference in the world, and my life counts in the social space. But we need. Look at my eyes. We need public space and for the next six weeks I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta direct your attention maybe the next six months I gotta direct your attention to building a home we need permanence today it's why I'm launching a series of messages and a generosity initiative we're calling plan to stay plan to stay I read a story recently about Edith Macefield. Um, before Edith Macefield died at the age of 86, in June of 2006, developers in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle where she had lived all of her life offered her over a million dollars to sell her home. They were building condos and skyscrapers around her home. And they offered Edith, true story, they offered Edith a million dollars to, to, to sell her little home. She had a 600 square foot little cottage uh, that she called the Whitewood Cottage that she had lived in almost all of her life. And on June the 15th, 2008, Edith Macefield died in that home on her little orange couch while she was surrounded by this concrete jungle as she succumbed to the battle she had with pancreatic cancer. And I brought a picture of it with you. This is Edith's house uh, there in Seattle. It still stands today. That was her car. If you watch movies much, this is the house and the story that the movie Up was based on. You ever seen this? My favorite Pixar movie. It was based on this house and this woman, Edith Macefield. It's 600 square feet. God, I feel like... I'm, I, I'm, it was 600 square feet. There wasn't much to look at. I love that she named it the Whitewood Cottage. <laughs> they had developed all around her. And they would offered a million dollars. Now the truth of the matter is she could take that million dollars and do a whole lot more around Seattle. 
She could have built a bigger house. She could have had land if she went outside the city. She, 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 could have had a, she could have had a condo and one of the sky, uh, right? She, she, could, she could have had more room to spread out. She could have died uh, in, in a much nicer, much better location. But she chose to, to die right here at 86 years old inside Whitewood Cottage. And, and all of the high-rises around, the, all of the commercial buildings in, in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle became a symbol to simplicity and rootedness. People from all over the world, you can go there today. You can go to the Ballard neighborhood in, the, in downtown Seattle and you can see this house and you can pay homage to the resident that lived in this house with her conviction to stay she believed with all of her heart there's just no place like home I can take your money and I could try to go somewhere else but there's no place like home I could take your million dollars and try to go build it somewhere else but there's no place like home this home means something to me it's a fixture in the permanent story of my life it wasn't write this down it wasn't about a building it was about permanence it wasn't about the house to her It was about the permanency of my home. It wasn't about where. It was about permanence. And and over the next couple of weeks, as I preached to you and as we began our time together talking about building a permanent home for City Hills Church, I got to tell you, it's not about a building. It's not about where we're building. It's, It's about leaving Home. It's about deciding we're not going to leave this place. It's got to be about home for us. It's got to be about permanence. What would happen in your life if you decided, I'm not going to be edged out by anything that this world offers because I'm deciding to make myself at home? What would happen if you decided, it doesn't matter how bad the world gets. It doesn't matter who they put in the White House. It doesn't matter who they elect as our governor. It doesn't really matter what happens in state politics. It doesn't honestly matter what happens with COVID or around the world. I've just decided nothing is going to edge me out of my home. Nothing is going to push me off of my kilt. It doesn't matter how much shaking in the world. Nothing is going to shake me from my home. There's no place like home. Can I confess to you something? Is that a no? Okay, yes, okay. (laughs) I was going to whether you said yes or not. There's a member of our team. He's on the safety team. Josh, are you in the? Are you in the room? Or he, he was serving second service. He, Jerry is in the back of the. No, not that Josh. The other Josh. Okay, so he's uh, he's active duty. He's in the army, and he has the coolest full sleeve of tattoos. And here's the confession: I want. A sleeve of tattoos. <laughs> now, some of you are, some of you are not coming back because I said that. All right, so I already know some of you religious people are thinking I can't. I don't even like this. This makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that. I don't have any tattoos. I'm not going to show you, but I don't have any. But I'd love to. And you know why? Because when a tattooed brother shows up, everybody just thinks, "Ooh, some oh." Oh, and when you got a whole sleeve, listen, when you show up and you're five foot something like I am, you need something else to work for you. And I need a full sleeve to show up like. <laughs> if a little brother comes in like me, but you, I take my coat off and there's a full sleeve, you're like, oh, I don't know where that brother's been. I don't know what. <laughs> so, uh, do you know what I'm trying to say to you? When I was a kid, I grew up in a really religious, really legalistic environment very conservative thank God for it but certainly wouldn't talk about tattoos my mom and daddy aren't here so 
I remember I got a Cracker Jack box. Sean, true story, I got a Cracker Jack box, and I got a temporary tattoo in that junk. You remember this? And you could put that, and oh, I thought I was something. I put this temporary tattoo on my arm. And I wore, I wore, this true, man. I'm, I wish I was lying to y'all, but I'm not. I don't normally lie, but I'm not lying right now. I, I had this temporary tattoo. And, and I, temporary tattoo, listen, it, it's, it, it doesn't cause any pain. It's easy to get and easy to wash off. You can change it out as often as you want to. The permanent tattoos, the reason I don't have one because I'm saved. And the second reason I don't have one. I'm, ki- I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was a joke. I was a I'm totally joking. <laughs> for real, for real. I'm, I'm kidding. I had to say that in case my mom sees us. I don't like needles. I've been lying to my doctor. I'm just confessing everything today. I've been lying to my doctor that I'm scared of COVID because she wants me to come in and do labs. And I don't like needles. And so I've been telling her, ah, I'm really worried. I'm not worried. I just don't want to do labs. I don't like needles. So I can't get a tattoo because I hear there's needles involved with a tattoo. But the thing about a permanent tattoo is they're expensive. And they require full commitment. You know what I mean? Like when you get one, you got to decide. Even if you don't know how to spell, you got to live with whatever you got. You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> Even if you break up with her, you're going to have to tell your wife. Now, listen, there was this girl named Susan. Now, we were in college, and one night, anyway, that's why I got that. But your name is Sally, so the S still works. I can take off some of the other ones and put the, you know. But you commit to it. Listen, we live in a spiritual world. Look at my eyes. Full of people who want temporary tattoos. You just want to be able to wash off this church family when the next one pops up. We want to be able to wash off this commitment because I found something else down the road. We want to be able to wash off this family because I got another family. I may change my mind. I may get offended. I may get hurt. Not y'all, but people in first service. I may get hurt. I, I, things may not go well. Listen, and we have a whole generation. This is true. I'm telling whether you want to believe, we have a whole generation of people, my, my generation of people, who have temporary faith just in case. Because it's painful to permanently tattoo myself to home. It costs money. It, it, it costs commitment. It makes me. It makes me have to decide. I'm gonna. This. I'm gonna be here. I've decided. I'm going all in on this. Listen. My prayer is that the next six weeks or six months of our church history changes you so much. It changes you in a way that the hope of a local church home is tattooed on your hearts. It's the reason why Jesus said, "Listen. This law that I gave you. This law that God gave on tablets of stone. Men, you could break those, and they break apart, and people forget about them." He said, "I'm gonna write." the law on your heart. I'm going to tattoo it on your heart. Why? Because I don't want you to be able to wash this off. I need something permanent on the inside of you. It's why It's why the Bible says this in the book of Revelation If all, all you non-tattoo people. The Bible says he has your name written in the palm of his hand. You know God's got a tattoo and it's your name on the palm of his hand and the, and the inner, he's got a tattoo king of kings and lord of lords on his inner thigh for everybody that believes God doesn't like tattoos. Jesus has two of them every and one of them is you why because when he bought you with the blood of his own precious son he tattooed his name he said I love him just like he is Jeff I'll take him I'll take all of our mess ups I'll take all of our problems I'm permanently with you and you're with me and you're home I'm asking you 
to get permanent, to find a place that's home. And I'll tell it to you in an Old Testament story. And they're already playing the sad music, so. Jeremiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. Writes two books. If you're new to the Bible, he writes the book of Jeremiah. I like how the Bible is simple like that. Like, what do we call it? Jeremiah. He writes Lamentations. He writes the book of Jeremiah. While the people of God are in captivity in Babylon. Babylon's a major world power at this time. Uh, it's the dominant force around the known world. It is uh, the uh, next iteration of ancient Mesopotamia. It is the birthplace of civilization. Most theologians believe the Garden of Eden was in southern um, Babylon, Mesopotamia. Uh, modern day Iraq. By the way, you, you want to know why there's so much demonic forces around this area. This is why. Yeah, and... Um, and so the people of God are in captivity. They've been, they've been conquered, and they're taken into captivity by the thousands. And Jeremiah is a prophet who stays back in Jerusalem. So the kingdom is divided. The southern kingdom goes to Babylon. The northern kingdom, Jeremiah, is still there in Jerusalem. And there's a bunch of false prophets who are in Babylon in captivity. Are you tracking with me? There's a bunch of false prophets with these Israelites. And they're telling the Israelites, the false prophets in Babylon are telling them, hey, we're going to be out of here soon. Don't worry about nothing. Don't worry about settling down. <laughs> Don't worry about buying anything. Matter of fact, they told the Israelites, these false prophets told the Israelites, you can read it in your Bible. They told the Israelites, they said, take everything you can get out of Babylon, but don't give anything because we're not going to be here long. And these Israelites started thinking, man, I guess I'm just supposed to take everything and rape and plunder the whole, the whole landscape and I guess we're just here to take. And, and Jeremiah hears about these false prophets. And Jeremiah, sitting in Jerusalem, writes a letter and he addresses it. Read it for yourself, Jeremiah, the first chapter. He writes a letter and addresses the priests and prophets and elders and all the people of Jerusalem who are in the exile. All of these false prophets were saying, just exploit the resources. Just There's a spiritual climate in the world today that says, just get what you can get. Just take whatever you want to take. Just go to this church and take that. Go to that church. and You can get something on the internet from this guy. And you can watch this sermon and take that. And you're, there's this idea of temporary. You don't have to actually settle down. You don't, have to, you don't have to actually be at home. And Jeremiah writes, this is all in your Bible, Jeremiah writes this long letter. And Jeremiah 29, you, you've quoted it a lot. Because we always quote Jeremiah 29 and we say, I know, the Lord, I, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. You know this? Plans to prosper you, not harm you, give you a future. And I, I've read this all my ministry, 21 plus years. I've read this as an individual promise that God was going to bless me. Listen, look at me. It's not about me. <laughs> Jeremiah 29 isn't written to me, and it's not written to you. It's written plural. Every time there's a you in Jeremiah 29 in the Hebrew, it's the plural version of you. It's written to the whole nation of Israel in captivity. 
And all of these false prophets are saying, don't unpack your bags. <laughs> don't settle down. Just take whatever you can take from here. Just get what you can get at this place and then we'll move on from here. We'll just, just don't go all in with this place. I mean, honestly, just there's plenty of other places out there. Just get whatever you can get. And Jeremiah writes and he says, no, no, no. It's not going to be two years. It's going to be 70 years. You're going to be in captivity. So then he wrote him a letter. And this is what he said in Jeremiah 29 and 4. You read it for yourself. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives that he exiled to Babylon for Jerusalem. Verse 5. Underline this. I want you to live in Jeremiah 29 for the next six weeks. Underline this phrase in your Bible. Build homes and plan to stay. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens. Eat the food they produce. Marry. Have children. And then find spouses for your children so that you have a lot of grandchildren. By the way, I still believe in arranged marriages because I don't want my kids hooking up with some of y'all's bad kids. <laughs> I'm kidding. Not y'all. The other service. <laughs> Marry. Wait a minute, God. I thought we weren't going to be here long. God says, no, no, no. You don't understand. I want you to you got to I want you to read one layer deep here. Come on. You got to understand you may be in captivity. But you got to make it home. Cuz there's something about home where you plant gardens that feeds your family. There's no place like home where when you come back in you realize this is where I raised my kids. There's some place like home and he said I want your kids to get married and have grandchildren because what you're building is not just for you. It's generational. So build homes and plan to stay and plant gardens and eat the food and marry and have kids. Then find spouses for them so that they may have grandchildren. Multiply and do not dwindle away. And then the, I think the craziest thing he told them is verse 7. And work for the peace and prosperity of Babylon where I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord for it for its welfare will determine your welfare build plan to stay plant eat and don't just do it for you look into my eyes I gotta, I gotta take you on this spiritual journey in the next two minutes don't just do it for you I'm not asking you church family to help build a permanent home for City Hills just for us. We got kids and grandkids. And then when we get here, I think one of the distinctives about our church, one of the reasons I love you so much is because we're not a church that's for us. We're a church that serves the city and, and the world. And the Bible says, if you'll pray for the prosperity, if you'll do something, come here, Rebecca, if you'll do something while you're waiting, then God will do something in you in the wait. And the world's going crazy. Look into my eyes. Close your Bibles. The world's upside down. And I know that you look around and you think, why would you, why would you try to build a church building now? Why would we be raising money in the middle of an economic crisis like this? Why would we be trying to, Pat, why would, now's not the time, man. Just stay nimble and, 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 and agile and just stay. I'll tell you why. 
Because God said, it doesn't matter how long we're here. We've got to build a home and plan to stay. And then we've got to serve this city and pray for this city. The reason why we need a church permanent home right now is because we can't serve out of this school. Now, we do serve this school, but we need a place 24-7 that we can open the doors to and minister to your children. I just heard last week 24 uh, students, middle and high school students, in a small group last week. Like home. So, so what do you do? Jesus, what do we do till you come back? The world's getting dark. Look at me. I, I, gotta, I, I gotta go. The world's getting dark. It looks like it's crazy. It's upside down. What do we do till Jesus comes back? Well, I'd close my eyes if I were you. I'd, I'd extend my hands just a little bit like that. Everybody in the room with your eyes closed and your hands extended. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit cityhillstx.com right now. And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.